Well, Father, we recognize that that is true. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. And you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, the one who is sitting right now at your side in the place of all authority, in the place of power at your right hand. The name that one day every knee will bow, every single person in this room and every one of the nine billion people on this planet very soon, one day, will bow the knee to Jesus Christ and declare that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I ask in Jesus' name you would use today to prepare us for that day. This would be a day of clarity. This would be a day of conviction. This would be a day of strengthening and refreshment by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. God, you say what you want to say to your church. I pray right now there would not be a spirit of pride. There would not be a spirit of skepticism. There would not be a spirit of hardening our hearts, but eagerly, willingly, recognizing your authority, we humble ourselves under it and say, Lord, speak to me. Change me, change me to be more like you today. I need you. May that be the cry of our heart. You must increase and we must decrease. And may it be so today. Whatever things have happened from this week, I pray right now, whatever distractions are on our hearts or on our minds of those events, we just cast them at the foot of the cross, knowing that you care for us and say, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. You think that's a little strong, but I care for you with that. Give that to me. Let me take that. Father, may today be the day of release. Open our eyes to see the truth. Open our hearts to respond, we pray the awesome, majestic, and only name above all names, Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, church, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. John chapter 2, 23 to 25. The title of this morning's message is this, Jesus sees the heart. Jesus sees the heart. And the ushers are coming forward right now with the Bibles. If you do not have a Bible with you, please take one from them. So you can follow along today, but also keep that. If you do not have a Bible at home, please keep that as a gift for you. So that we, we need some more in the front row here, ushers, right here. All right? Keep that as a free gift so you can continue to study God's word on your own. John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you, loved ones. And it's one that we can so easily take for granted, but it is so important we are rock solid, crystal clear on its answer, and it is this. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? By that very definition, a Christ follower. 
One who truly believes in and follows Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? And you say, well, why is that so important? It seems kind of a basic question, one that we take for granted so much. Well, here's why this is so important. Consider these stats. You'll see them on the screen. According to the latest Pew Research study done, 67.3% of Canadians identify themselves as Christians. Amen. 67.3% of Canadians identify themselves as Christians. So I did some research. According to the latest UN stats population, as of December 3rd, Canada's population is estimated at 37,091,624 people. Do the math with me. I already did the math this week, so you didn't have to in your seat. Here it is. 67% of that is 24,962,663 Christians in Canada. Now, as encouraging as that stat might be on the surface, we need to dig a little deeper. I think you would agree with me if you look around the state of our nation today, This stat highlights a major problem, and it is this. Even though many claim to believe in Christ's name, not all who claim to truly believe in and follow Jesus Christ actually do. By this definition here, by these stats here, we're a Christian nation. But even though many will claim to believe in Christ's name, not all who claim to truly believe in and follow Jesus Christ actually do. We can fool a lot of people. We can say the Christianese. We can go to the services. We can even open up our Bibles each day. But at the end of the day, we can fool people, but we cannot fool Jesus. Why? Because Jesus sees your heart and mine. He looks much deeper than external appearances. And so we must ask ourselves the question, loved ones, what does it mean to truly believe in and follow Jesus Christ? And so here in our text today, this little nugget, these three little verses so profound from John chapter 2, it begins to address this question. This is a transition paragraph at the end of chapter 2, moving into chapter 3, and it's preparing us to head into chapter 3, where Jesus will begin an extensive dialogue about the kingdom of God and who will or who will not enter into it. He's going to start by talking to a man called Nicodemus. We'll dive in there next week. But here, in this little transition paragraph, we see two essential truths that we must understand if we are to have clarity, loved ones, on what true belief in Christ is and understand Christ's knowledge of the true position of our hearts towards him. Crucial. Two essential truths. What it means to be a follower of Christ And to understand Christ's knowledge of the true position of our heart before him. What does it mean that he sees the heart? So let's honor the authority of God's word and stand as we read it together today. John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Jesus knows what is in man. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed 
in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, many, the first truth we see here is that many will claim to believe in Christ's name, but not all belief about him means saving faith in him. Not all belief about Christ means saving faith in Christ. Look at the text, verses 23 to the first part of verse 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs he was doing, the miracles he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Such a sobering statement there. Let's get some context. We need to read scripture in its context to avoid error. The context here is Jesus and his disciples, as we see, are at the Passover in Jerusalem. So remember this map I showed you last week, the black circle. There's Jerusalem. All right? So they're at in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Now, recall the Passover was the biggest of the big three. The biggest of the big three festivals or feasts in Jerusalem. And its purpose was to celebrate God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. You can read all about it in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 50. And recall that there were Jewish people coming not, over, not only from all over Israel, but all over the Roman Empire who would make the journey. Every Jewish male who was 12 years or older was coming to this feast. And we read here, that Jesus was performing miracles. They're described as signs there. Remember, we looked at last week, the term signs in the Greek means semion. And its purpose of signs was to authenticate or corroborate who this person was. In Jesus' case, it was authenticating him as the son of man. But here he is performing signs. Now, he's performing them in front of people, but we're not told what signs he was doing there. So we're not going to read into that further than scripture takes us. However... What we are told is that when people saw the signs he was doing, many believed in his name. Hey, praise God, right? All these people believing in Jesus' name, getting saved. Careful. Careful. Everyone repeat after me when we read our Bibles. Here's a great slogan we need to remember. Context is key. Say that with me. Context is key. We have to know the context of the words we are reading because here's the reality. The word belief here in the Greek means this, pistuo, pistuo, and it can mean two things depending on the, exactly, loved ones, praise the Lord, all right? Depending on the context, it can mean two different things. Number one, it could mean human or self-serving belief that is not given by God. What that means is, I've seen you do something, and I believe you can do it. You know, I saw my kids make a Lego creation yesterday. I believe they can make that, right? So that's one way of having belief in someone, But there's a second way. It could also mean, depending on the 
there you go. Depending on the context, it could also mean when one believes in Christ and is saved or strengthened in their faith. They believe in Jesus as the Messiah and their saving faith that God inbirths in them because of that or strengthens them in a faith they already have. One is being persuaded by the Lord's inbirthing of faith in his divinely given. So example, I saw you do these signs and I know you must be the son of God because there's no one else who could have done them. I believe in you. I commit to you. I trust in you. See the difference? Context is key. And in this case, as you can imagine from just the bit we've read right now, in this case, the term is used to describe those that believed and listened to Christ. They believe he could do these signs, but they're not believing from a saving faith. They are not believing from a belief that was given to them by God, because only God can give us the faith. He opens our eyes. He draws us to himself. He gives an inbirthing of faith to respond But they were believing because of a human desire, an intellectual belief. Oh, I see this guy, Jesus can do miracles. Great. That he was a man who could perform miracles for them, but they didn't entrust themselves to him. What that means is they did not surrender their lives and commit to him because of it. They believed he could do some cool stuff. I love how commentator Tremper Longman III says this. Their belief, quote-unquote, fell short of the complete commitment required by Jesus. Complete commitment is key there. Saving faith is considerably more than intellectual acknowledgement that Jesus was an unusual person whose ability to work the miraculous was truly outstanding. This is what they were believing in him in this moment. And so if I could sum that up, their faith was superficial. It was not genuine. It was not authentic, saving faith. And you say, well, how do you know this? Well, just continue to read in context. Verse 24 says this. But Jesus, even though they're saying we believe in you, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. That's the key. Right there. Again, John is using a word play here. He's using the same word in trust, pistuo, that he used for belief earlier. It's a word play that he's using. And it means here that Jesus, just like they didn't put their trust in him, Jesus isn't putting his trust or revealing himself to them. He did not commit himself to them. He did not confide in them of who he truly was as the son of God. And if Jesus did not give them the inbirthing of faith by entrusting himself to them, there is no way they could truly believe in him and be saved. So Jesus is not entrusting. He goes, I'm not revealing myself to you. In essence, if we could break down what happened here, we illustrate this. In essence, these people were jumping on the Jesus bandwagon. And when it was easy, when it was popular, when, when there was an opportunity to be prospered by him. Wow, he's doing miracles. Maybe he could fill my belly. Maybe he could heal my sickness. Maybe he could do this. And so I'm jumping on the Jesus bandwagon because he's the hot ticket item right now. He's the hot ticket in Jerusalem. So I want to get what I want to get out of him because I know he can perform some miracles. Maybe he can hook me up too. But Jesus wasn't buying into that. 
They'll say all the right things like, yes, Jesus, I trust you. And yes, I'll follow you. And yes, I'll... Jesus isn't buying a word of it. He did not entrust himself to them. He says this. We had, here's Jesus when he's not entrusted. He says, I see that you believe some things about me. I see that you're coming around me, desiring to see me do more stuff for you. Maybe give you another emotional experience. Maybe give you some provision that you need. Maybe leave you with some quote-unquote Holy Spirit goosebumps for a time. But with all your cheering and with all your posturing and with all your requests and all your fanfare and all your claims of belief about me, you may fool people, but you're not fooling me. I will not entrust myself to you. You are not believing and committing yourself to me. You just want something from me. I have not entrusted myself to you. Look around today. Bring that into today. How much of the nation, 67.3% of, or even of the church today, claiming to be the church can be described like this. The gathering, cheering, witnessing of Christ's work in your life or the life of another expressed belief about Christ, but no true wholehearted belief and commitment through saving faith in Christ. I know Jesus is a guy who can make me prosper. He could heal me, so I'll call out to him, but I don't actually commit my life to him. He's not my Lord. See, Jesus here is the same as he's looking today. He looks for genuine conversion rather than enthusiasm for the spectacular. Jesus always looks for genuine conversion and not just some enthusiasm for the spectacular. I love, how do you know this? It's a strong word, Pastor Ray. How do you know this? Well, he tells us in Matthew 7. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew 7, sobering word, one of the most sobering words in all of Scripture. It says, entitled, I never knew you. Verse 21 to 23, not everyone, look at, here it is. Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, sure, I believe in you, Jesus, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. It's not talking about works-based salvation. We'll get there in a moment. But look at 22. On that day, the day Jesus Christ comes back, which we are now the closest in human history we've ever been to happening. On that day, many, many, notice this, many of them, not just a few, many people living in deception right now, claiming the name of Christ. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do things for you? Focusing on their works, trying to get me to heaven. Did we not do things for you? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? You see some pretty miraculous things. Did we do mighty works in your name? Look at 23. And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. At that moment, all the posturing stops. It's over. So many people, no doubt, would have seen that and been so convinced, saying the right words, calling on God's name. And Jesus said, I don't know you. You are not committed to me. 
I will not entrust myself to you. See, because here's the truth, loved ones. Write this down. You'll see it on the screen here. Seeing the sign does not guarantee you've seen the sun. Seeing the sign does not guarantee you've seen the sun. Just because you've seen Jesus at work in your life or someone else's life doesn't guarantee that you have seen him. Doesn't guarantee that he's entrusted himself to you or that you have a saving relationship with him. The truth is Jesus will entrust himself to those who entrust themselves to him. He will reveal himself more and more as he draws you to himself and gives you that pistuo belief, that inbirthing of faith and opens your eyes. He will entrust more of himself to you and say, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who he will confirm this. You say, well, how do you know that? John 10, 14. You'll see it on the screen. He says, I am the good shepherd. Look at this word. I know, Greek word gnosko, means intimately, personally. We'll see that in a moment in verse 24 and 25. I know my own. And what's this? My own know me. I've entrusted myself to my own, and my own have entrusted themselves to me. Personally, intimately, way beyond the fireworks. So how about you? Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust, have you put your faith, have you put your surrender in Jesus Christ as Lord over your life? You say, well, what does that mean? How do I know? What's, what's the purpose for that? What's the, what's the idea behind that? Listen, when I've entrusted, to myself, when I've entrusted myself to Christ... Five things, ready? When I've entrusted myself to Christ, I have true belief about myself. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I have true belief about myself. I am a sinner in need of a savior. Look at Romans 3.23. It says this, for all have sinned. You and me and every single other person on this planet and the 67.3% that declare the name of Jesus Christ, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one that escapes that. And the truth is, this sin separates us from a holy God. There is no way we can get to God on our own. It's called the doctrine of total depravity. From Adam's sin, all have sinned, Romans 5 and 6 say. We can't escape that. And it's not like, it's not like we can get past this by saying, well, well, listen, I can earn my way through good works. We've already looked at that through Matthew 7. I can earn my way because I'm not as bad as the next person. All have sinned. See, each of us has a problem, but each of us has a problem that none of us can fix. And that problem is sin. And you can try to work that off on your own. You can try to be the best person you possibly can be. But at the end of the day, without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you are separated from God. Because all have sinned. And we, as a result of their sin, are under God's wrath. God's hatred towards sin. We are under his wrath. And be, why? Because he's a perfectly holy God. And we can do nothing to save ourselves. So we have to believe it. That. that term, sin, is not popular in our world today, is it? I don't like to think myself as a sinner. 
Like, he's a pretty good guy, you know? Pretty good guy and doing some good things. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but let's call it what it is. You're a sinner in desperate need of being saved by grace. Grace that you can't earn. So if I've entrusted myself to Christ, if I'm going to entrust myself to Christ, I have to first start with me and say, recognize I'm a sinner and I am separated from God. Recognize myself as God tells me to recognize myself through his word, which is our authority. True belief about myself, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. When I've entrusted myself to Christ, I have also, I have true belief about Christ, that he is the only savior that he is the only Savior. Look at John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. Your good works are not the way. Other gods, small g gods that you erect in your life, other religions that claim to be a way, there is no other way under heaven by which you must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. He tells us, I am the way. But I'm not only the way, I can declare this because I am the truth. I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes. I am the truth and the life. No one, no one, Lord, Lord, no one comes to the Father except through me. Except through Jesus Christ. Believing the truth that he is the only Savior. Believing that he came to earth as fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ is not just some angel. He's not just some prophet. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God Almighty himself who came to earth as fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life for 33 years, did not sin once so that he could go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, your sin and mine that is under the wrath of God and deserving of death and hell. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, pays the penalty for our sin, goes into the grave, three days later rises again, defeating the power of sin and death for all time and now promises to forgive those and wash them clean and give them new life for those who repent of their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior. That is the greatest news of all time, loved ones. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourself. That means you can't earn this. You can't earn Christ's love. You and I cannot earn a right relationship with God. It's impossible. It is not of your works. Why? So that no one can boast and say, well, I really earned my way to heaven. I'm really good, so I'm deserved of that. You and I are deserved of nothing but hell and separation from God for eternity. That's what we're worthy of. That's what we are deserving of. And all these other religions that you see out there say, do this, work really hard, do this, do this, and maybe you'll get into heaven one day to be with God. Jesus says, no, 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 don't do. The answer is done. I have done it for you. The question is, will you repent of your sin and believe in your heart that I am Lord and you will be saved if you do? You don't have to clean yourself up. That offer stands true today. And as God draws you to himself, I pray even right now in this place, as God is drawing you to himself, opening your eyes to see the truth. You think any of us are here by accident today, by the way? No way. You think, oh, I just kind of came with my friend. No, you didn't. God brought you here. 
And as he draws you to himself, loved ones, let's humble ourselves under him and say, God, show me the truth as he divinely gives us this belief and opens our eyes to it. Let me ask you a question. Who are you relying on as your savior? Yourself? Others? Maybe another religion? Who are you relying on? Because Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father, God the Father, but through me. Amen. When I have entrusted myself to Christ, I have a true belief about myself. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Number two, I have a true belief about Christ, that he's the only Savior, not one of many ways to heaven that doesn't exist. That's a lie. And number three, when I have entrusted myself to Christ, how do I know? How do I know? I have true repentance through Christ. I turn to him. I have true repentance through Christ. I turn to him. Look at Mark 1.15. I was so blessed by this. I forgot this was in the Bible. And I came across this in my studies. And I was so blessed by this. He says that Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ that we just unpacked. That for God so loved the world, he loved you, that he gave his only son for you, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Repent and believe. What does that term repent mean? Repent means to a change of mind, a change of heart through Christ, to see my sin the way God sees it and to call it what God calls it and say, God, this is separating me from you. I am choosing to turn away from that and turn towards you as my Lord and Savior. Not by effort, but by grace. Repentance, agree with God. In faith, turn away from it and turn to him for forgiveness. When I have entrusted myself to Christ, I have a true belief about myself. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Number two, I have a true belief about Christ. He's the only savior. Number three, I have true repentance through Christ. I turn to him. Number four, if, when I have entrusted myself to Christ, I have increasing obedience to Christ. I submit to him. Look at 1 John 2, 3 to 4. So clear. Bible's so clear. And by this we know that we've come to know him. How do you know? That Greek, same Greek word there, by the way, gnosko, is used in verses 24 and 25 right here. By this we know that we've come to know him personally, intimately. If we, if, if we keep his commandments, whoever says, yeah, I know God. I'm a believer, Lord, Lord. Yeah, I'm a Christian but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now let's be clear on something. You can look at that and be like, man, but you just said I didn't have to work for my salvation. What's, what's going on here? John is not talking about sinless perfection here. You and I will never be perfect on this side of eternity. We are going to be sinning until we go home. So it's not a matter of being sinless, but as we submit to him, it's becoming more and more, over time, it's sinning less. 
So those areas of your life that had, a, that had a stronghold in you, are you seeing victory over that by the power of Christ? As you call out to him, you must increase, I must decrease. You become greater, I become less. And as the power of God which is inside of you through Jesus Christ, as he's working out your salvation with fear and trembling, and as you submit to him through his word very imperfectly, but saying, God, give me the strength to submit to you today, as he does more and more, you start to see the pattern. It's this mindset of, well, I'm not who I was and I'm not who I'm gonna be, but I'm here on the journey. It has to be in his power. Is there a pattern of increasing obedience to him by his power in you and me? That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. Only he who believes is obedient because you can't do it on your own. We can't do this on our own. If we're going to be obedient to God's word, we need the power of God inside of us. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Because why would we believe God's word otherwise? It says it makes foolishness to the world. Lastly is this. When I've entrusted myself to Christ, I have a true belief about myself. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. True belief about Christ, he is the only savior. True repentance through Christ, I must turn to him. Increasing obedience to Christ, I submit to him. And lastly is this, if I've entrusted my life to Christ, I have ongoing perseverance in Christ. I hold fast to him. I hold fast to him. What do you mean? Philippians 1.6 says this. Love Paul's words here. Look at, the, look at this, faith. I am sure I am sure of this, that he, Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you, will, there's the promise, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What's the day of Jesus Christ? When Jesus Christ comes back for his church very, very soon. I hold fast to him. We're not talking, Christian, the following Jesus Christ is not about perfection. It is all about perseverance. Persevering with a growing love for God, a love for others, submission to God, repentance towards him. Not about perfection, but about perseverance. That's why I love the term J.D. Greer, president of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. He coined it this way. I love it. He says, once saved, forever following. Once saved. If you have truly entrusted your life to Jesus Christ... Surrendering him as the Lord, you cannot lose your salvation. How do you know this? John 10, 28, Jesus says, none will pluck them from my hand. And you, you can sin and you'll stumble along just like I do. You will be stumbling and falling on your face. And Jesus is like, hey, loved one, let's get up. Let's turn from that, repent from that, confess that to me, and let's go. It is my power that's in work in you, and I will bring it through to completion. And you and I can get in such dry seasons. We get in such dry days. Is God even at work? What's he doing? Go back to this promise. If you are truly his, he will complete the work that he started. He will complete it. It's not by you striving harder. It's by his power at work in you as you submit to him one step at a time. Just one step at a time. Not about perfection persevering in the power of the spirit this is not i love this i love this where it says we hold fast to him 
Because we're not talking about some prosperity gospel here. Well, hey, like what these guys had the mentality of. They believe in Jesus because I can get something from you. If I follow Jesus Christ, my life's going to be really easy. I'll live in a nice house. I'll have nice clothes. I'll have a large bank account. I'll do all of these things. Listen, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not a prosperity gospel. It is a persevering gospel. A persevering gospel, when you and I get into those hard seasons, those dark seasons, those trials, that suffering, and you say, God, I can't see how you're at work, but I trust you, and I cling to you, and you go back to his word. He gives you the faith. He gives you the comfort. He gives you the peace. He gives you the strength to say, I am with you, and he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, loved one. Let's go. I will never leave you or forsake you. And here's the beautiful news of the gospel. The gospel means that no matter what comes against me, ready for this, ready for this? Someone needs this encouragement this morning, maybe just me. The gospel means that no matter what comes against me, God uses it to bless me and glorifies himself through it every time. That's the beautiful truth of the gospel. No matter what's coming against you, you don't know what's coming against you this week, but he does. Will you persevere and hold fast? Not just going to all these other things. I hold fast to Jesus Christ. Not perfectly, but in the power of his spirit, increasingly. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful truth. Hey, loved ones, look at that list. Just look at the list. Whether you're an unbeliever, whether you're a follower of Christ already, look at this. Have you entrusted yourself by faith to Jesus Christ? So that is what we need to believe, and that is what our life, that's a blueprint of what our life should look like increasingly. Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ? That's what it means. He will entrust himself to you. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Christians, hey loved ones, believers here in this room, if you have already, look at that list. What areas do you need to get right with him today? What areas are you not walking in obedience? What areas are you not considering persevering in what areas of repentance need to happen in your life for that pattern of sin that's ongoing because here's the truth many will claim to believe in Christ's name but not all belief about him means saving faith in him loved ones and even though many will claim to believe in his name last truth for today is this Christ knows those who are his and even though many will claim to believe in his name Christ knows those who are his. Look at the back half at 24 and 25. But Jesus on his part, here it is, he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew, there's the Greek word gnosko again, he knew intimately all people and needed no one to bear witness, no one to testify about what man's like to him for he himself knew, repeats it for emphasis, he knew what was in man. See, John now gives the reason that Christ did not entrust himself to those who claim to believe in him and why he didn't need anyone else to tell him about man because he knows what's in man, the intimate personal knowledge. And he knew where their belief was truly at because he could see their heart. How do you know that? Well, just go back to chapters one and two of John. He created us. He created you. He created me. He didn't just create us. He sustains us. He gave you every breath you needed to breathe to get here this morning. Every ounce of energy. Every bit of oxygen. Every flow of blood. He sustained you to be here. He is omniscient, this is pointing to. That means he knows all. He is all wise. This is why Isaiah 46.10 says he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's in man. But here's the thing. 
Think about this. Let this blow your mind for a moment, loved ones. Christ knows us better than we know ourselves. Christ knows me better than I know myself. But here's the thing. He doesn't just know us by our actions. It's not like he sees me do something and be like, oh, okay, so I know that's what he's like now. Uh-uh-uh. He looks, get this, he looks right inside of us and he knows what's in our heart. The deepest recesses, the parts that you have closed off to every single other person, maybe even yourself, because it's painful, it's hurtful, and you don't want to expose that, Jesus looks right at you and looks into that part and says, I can take care of that, but will you entrust yourself to me? I will make myself known to you right there. But will you come to me? He knows every thought that you're thinking right now, that I'm thinking right now, He knows every word you're going to speak in a few minutes when we finish, even before it comes out of your mouth. He knows every attitude that is behind every action that you do. Why did I lash out? Jesus knows why. Why did I lose my temper? Jesus knows why, because he sees the heart. He knows what's in man. And he knows those who are his. Say, how do you know this? Love this. Jeremiah 17.10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I, the Lord, search the heart. Move along, watch this. First Chronicles 28.9. For the Lord searches all hearts. He goes way beyond our actions, beyond our posturing. He searches our hearts and understands every plan and every thought. Jesus is looking at you right now and where your heart is at. And watch this, 1 Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He goes way past externals. And this is why he can say in 2 Timothy 2.19, the one that sums all these up, the Lord knows those who are his. He goes past the posturing. Into the deepest part. Loved ones, There is only one that truly knows the heart and truly knows those who are his. It's not you. And it's not me. So often we fall into this trap of thinking, well, I know that person. I can see what's inside. No, you can't. There's one who does. Only God. And your heart and mine are open before him And here's the thing Luke 8, 17 says. There is nothing hidden from his sight. You think, well, it's just this little area of sin that I can deal with on my own and I'll put on a clean posture in front of everyone else, but I'll just keep this. There's nothing hidden from his sight. Jesus says, Luke 8, 17, there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Trying to hide sin is impossible. 
There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed, Jesus says. You can try. It ain't gonna work. I see the heart. I know what's going on. Many will claim to believe in Christ's name, but Christ knows those who are his. And my final question for you is this, loved ones, are you his? When Christ looks at your heart right now, this is between you and God. When Christ looks at your heart and mine right now, guys, can you go back to those list of five things, please? When he looks back at our hearts right now, is this what he's saying? He's saying, this is my child right here. This is where their heart is at. Totally imperfect. Can't do this on their own, but I'm with them and their heart is for me. I look past the service. I look past the posturing. I look past the prayers and I look right into the heart. And is this what he sees? And if you are, if you're like, yes, yes, I am a follower of Christ. Listen, question. What area or areas of your heart do you need to surrender to him today? What are the small g gods, loved one? What are the small g gods that you've erected in your life that you're looking to for salvation? Or, or what are the patterns of sin? Maybe it's, here's, here's some things. Complaining. Did you know how much God hates grumbling and complaining? Just look at number six and you'll get a good indication. Complaining. Well, I think things should be done this way. I want that. I want About job, about family, about the church. Well, my marriage. God hates complaining. Is that pattern that needs to be repented of, if that's you? If that's me, I need to repent of so much of that this week. How about grumbling? How about, here's another one, gossip. Gossip to your coworkers. Gossip about your brothers and sisters in Christ. That needs to be repented of, loved ones. If we're going to continue to grow in the power and image of Jesus Christ, that has to go. How about Laziness. Not living with urgency. I'll just kind of let everyone else do everything. I just kind of want to sit back and kick it for a while. Really? The Bible says make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. What is that pattern of sin? Pornography, alcohol, workaholism, whatever it is. What is that? Pride. Harsh with your wife. Harsh with your kids. Repent. Repent, loved ones. Hear the word of the Lord. Repent and believe the gospel. And believe the gospel that Jesus has the power to overcome it. And as you think about the answer to that question, we have to spend time asking the Lord to search our hearts and to remember the sacrifice of Christ which makes salvation in him and growth in him possible. And as we come to the Lord's table right now, we will do just that. This is a time of examination, loved ones. And the Lord's table, as we see in God's word, is a time to remember Christ's death and how he suffered and died for you and for me so that we may receive the forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom and in new life with him. And the two elements that we remember him with today are these. The bread, the bread, which represents Christ's body, which was crushed, Isaiah says, beyond recognition because he loved you and me. And then the juice, which represents his blood, which was spilled so we could receive the forgiveness of sins as he paid the penalty for them. And we could walk in new life in him. But here's the thing, loved ones. God always goes back to the heart, right? And as we approach the communion table right now, 
Scripture commands us that we examine ourselves. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 29. It says this. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, reflecting, meditating on the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a very serious thing we're doing right now. And so in these next few moments, I'm going to ask you right now, in the quietness of life, just bow your heads. Bow your heads right now. Close your eyes. And say this. Say this prayer. Search me, O God. Go beyond the actions. Jesus, go beyond the posturing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know it. The sin that I've been putting away, the sin that I have been keeping from you, search my heart, the areas that are hurt, the pain that I've closed off, because I don't want to be hurt again. The fears, the anxiety, search me, oh God, and know my heart. And test my anxious thoughts. And see, Lord Jesus, where the offensive ways are in me. And lead me, lead me, oh God, in the path everlasting. Lead me. Lead me. (coughs) And as the Lord reveals things in your heart, just stay quiet. Just take time to repent right now all over this place. What are those things for you? Just take time to repent. Confess them and give them to the Lord. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want you. I repent, I confess. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Heal my heart, Lord. I need you. And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, two things I want to say to you. Number one, I'm so thankful you're here. You are not here by accident. The Lord has brought you here. And two, as the communion plates come by, I just ask that you would let them quietly pass by you because the Lord's Supper is for all those who are Christians, true believers and followers of Christ who have confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And after the service, I want you to come on up and talk about what it means to have a, fo- be, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Search me, O oh 